Hey, welcome to January Men, the January Boys fancast. I'm sorry, I thought I was special. But I told you all the time. Uh, today on the episode, we are going to be discussing um, t- 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 the f- fifth. Fifth. Yes, fifth? episode five. Wow, I am losing track of time here. Uh, we're just moving right along. The fifth episode in the January Boys television series. That's crazy to me. Especially because I now live in an ice palace, and so much has happened in my life. It really just went a mile a minute for you this week, didn't it? First there was just this curse that befell you Mm -hmm. when you opened that uh, small medallion. I should never have opened the medallion. In fact, now that I'm thinking back on it, it was more of like a locket in the shape of a medallion, and I just... Anyway, so there was the curse, and then later on in the week, uh, just the the snow and the ice and the wind and the rain, and that kind of swept in, and then, like, you know, I don't mean to complain, but now, like, I'm forced to live on this icy hellscape that also has a lot to do with, um, I think Beelzebub? I don't know. There's some sort of, I, I haven't really talked to anybody about it, but, like, everyone in there is an ice demon. And I'm in this castle, and I'm just fucking, like, what am I supposed to do, you know? I have no answers for you, friend. I know. I know. It's okay. It's fine. I'm just tired is all. What's new with you? Well, I was pursued by a bear off of a stage, ironically. Stage left. Oh, my God. I was just walking on my way, and there was a stage in the middle of the street, so I just... Kind of was like, well, look, I'm not afraid of the stage. I welcome it, and I have an appointment. So I just stepped up, and then a bear emerged from a trap door and pursued me off stage left, which was luckily the way I needed to go to get to my destination. But then the bear and I also had to split cab fare, which, I mean, we didn't... It, we, he split, he paid his fee, but we didn't really have anything to talk about besides, like, so you're a... Uh, Pursuing me, I just went. Yep, Gur. Well, obviously Grr. you you ignored the after school specials about the stage and its dangers. Those are the ones that I always tuned out for. I was more interested in Stranger Danger because I write all my novels about strangers. I don't know personally any of my characters. I've never met them. Speaking of danger, actually, uh, that reminds me. I have to make a quick correction. Last week, I said that if you would like to ask any gorilla about Jane Goodall and breaking up families, um, well, you could and they would know. Uh, I was informed that she never actually worked with gorillas. It was chimps. Um, And so she should, you should ask chimps. I'd like to thank you, chimplover69. Um, for letting me know that uh, via Twitter and um, th- by throwing a rock into this ice palace in, in which I now reside. My neck is killing me, though. So, uh, fuck you, rock. Don't hate the player. Hate the fucking rock. The rock. 
God, that guy, where does he get off? I don't know. I mean, if who throws Dwayne Johnson at a person? A very strong man or woman. One who works with chimps. Apparently. Anyway, let's get talking about the... Oh, well, before we get into the episode, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Do you find yourself humming over a course of day? insipid songs is your step infected with unsightly uh, how you say spring perhaps you have forgotten misery of life so if this case with you perhaps you'll stop by bobinski's emporium of russian novels every novel imported straight from mother russia reminds us life is an ending series of tragedy and is inherently cold and lonely like dostoevsky say this life uh, is shit. It's no thing he write literally in novel, uh, but it's thing he say to friend all the time. Boris, life shit. He say to friend Boris, etc. You get idea. So drop by Bobinski's Russian novels and experience misery half price. Also, happy Valentine's Day. Those are the Wow, that was kind of a letdown, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I expected more. Oh, well. Well, before we get into talking about the actual meat of the episode, the uh, the vegetation, the... Uh, like, the real... The real McCoy of the episode, uh, we're going to talk about... Uh, well, we have a segment that we like to call Merch Watch. Merch Watch. Does that happen every time I say merch watch? Merch watch. Apparently oh, so. That's interesting. Well, is this yeah, maybe because the ice castle? Coming from. It could be the echo from the ice castle. Ice yep, castle. There we go again. There it is. Anyway, this week on merch watch. Merch watch. I they just announced a new type of branded cereal for kids. January loops. And. Uh, Apparently the t- the flavor is second to none. I haven't tried them yet. That's specifically what the flavor is described as. Like whereas Apple Jacks yeah. for Apple, these are specifically just as the flavor profile is quote unquote second to none. Yeah, I'm not sure if that makes it sort of an umami flavor or like what, but second to none apparently it'll taste good, right? One would assume. I I guess. So it's in terms of flavor profile, does that make it a secondary profile to the flavor of nothing? Or is it an assurance of quality and the flavor associated with that quality? You know, uh, I encourage you, listeners, to go out into your local supermarché um, or your uh, lower dungeons if you don't have a supermarché near you. And uh, go purchase this uh, cereal, test it out, try it out. Um, it comes in two fl- two forms. One is hot, one is cold, um, like an oatmeal almost. And then uh, it comes in three different colored boxes. And it just says January Loops in all caps in sort of a, a Helvetica font. So, yeah, good luck with that. 
Do you have one? Did have you been paying attention to any of the uh, the I you you're into the toys, right? I'm a little more into the uh, the toys. I have a couple magazines that are related to the January uh, boys toy line and there are a couple new action figures i mean they are always coming out with new variations on the plepums von trier character and so they have a new update to that which just some of the textures and the the little features on the like the snake like arm now has real fangs and can actually inject small things with venom this is the Malibu Plebums. This is the Malibu Plebums model, but he also comes with a companion piece, which is a Lars von Trier action figure. Ooh, very neat, very neat. Where he just stares condescendingly at your other action figures. Kung fu glaring action, very nice. Yes. Now this is uh, sort of a, a variation on the Lars von Trier companion action figure to Plebums. I understand that this one is no longer wearing a dog collar and chain. Yeah, it's uh, been updated now. It still has... You can actually see that they use the same model as, like, the chain that was attached before, but they've mm-hmm. made it... They've It's attached to a different spot, and it's now trying to be... They're billing it as, like, an energy whip sort of thing. Very cool. Of course, he's still wearing all leather. Yes. Okay. As always, I think it would just be too unrecognizable, and that would hurt the brand if you took away the all-leather outfit. Would Lars von Trier really be Lars von Trier without wearing a leather jumpsuit all the time? I don't think so. It's pretty much his signature. Great. Well, that's been Merch Watch. Merch Watch! Jesus Christ, that's got to... I'll have to figure out where the setting is on this castle for that. Um, okay, and, you know, without further ado, we're going to slide right into that second commercial break that everyone looks forward to so fondly, um, more, more so than even the birth of their own child. If you, or a loved one, has been diagnosed with the Andromeda strain, also known as La Linea Verde de Muerte, or the Green Line of Death, then you, or a loved one, may be entitled to an all-out brawl at the Thunderdome. That's right, sports fans. If you or a loved one has experienced erosion of the vessel walls of the circulatory system, overactive coagulation, or cerebral hematomas, then you or a loved one should call your congressman today for all-out horse brawl tickets on ice at Thunderdome. Located wherever Little Debbie's snack cakes are made. Man, it always changes you. You're never the same after that second commercial break. This might be the happiest day of my life. I just smoked a cigar. That's not ideal for your lungs, but, uh, you know, however you want to celebrate. Well, I smoke one after every second commercial that I see, so maybe I should cut down on that. Yeah, usually I smoke after the episode because I'm feeling tired and I need to recuperate. Um, The episode will be lying next to me, covered up to its neck in sheets, and I will be topless, covered from the waist down in sheets. And uh, I'll look over, smoking my cigarette, and I'll say, I cannot keep doing this. 
you and I, we can't keep meeting like this. And the episode will look at me and say, Mon amour, je suis désolé. In a very smoky, raspy voice. And um, I'll pet the episode's hair and, and then I'll wake up dazed and confused in the middle of a road somewhere. I have to get away from these canals. These canals that don't go anywhere except back in on themselves. So the episode in question is a little longer than the usual episode. It was it's right before the um the sixth episode, which is their sort of middle of the break, uh, middle of the season, like what is it? Mid-season finale is the word I'm going for. So it's it's got a little bit more oomph to it. There were fewer commercial breaks, um, and they actually got Klaus Kinski to uh, play the Raccoon King for the entirety of the episode, which is really hard to do because he he's very old and he doesn't move around that much anymore. Um, they actually had to hang him up by strings and sort of slowly i mean it's a beautiful performance but some of the times his arms especially his left arm had to be pulled along to get him to continue um now whether this was his decision or the decision of tina fey still remains to be seen um you want to take it from here i know this is like your favorite episode it probably is and i think part of it is you can see the influence from Klaus Kinski's casting, uh, just of uh, Werner Herzog. Werner Herzog has executive producer mm-hmm. credit on this episode alone. Um, so they went back to the January Boys roots, where uh, Herzog was the mentor to the Dark Angelo twins, and I think they really just wanted to get some of that energy back in. So uh, right away, what's interesting is that they they kind of blend. They attempt to blend a sort of fact and fiction format because the episode actually starts off with a previously kind of montage of episode of a couple of key scenes from episode four with Bobby Slappy Stein McKenzie running around and a couple glimpses of the Raccoon King when he emerged from Bobby Slappy Stein mm-hmm. McKenzie's mouth and just grew the full size. You see, it's really just a couple of those clips, so you see that, and that's. Uh, to get us up to speed, because this isn't exactly a two-parter, but it is connected narratively. But you do they see that, and then we're in a sort of PBS interview-style studio with the actual Raccoon King that exists in our world being interviewed by Tina Fey. Uh, a little bit about the natural history of the Raccoon King world and the dark mm-hmm. universe that he resides in. And uh, then she goes... Now let's go to the episode. Yeah, it's actually uh, a little bit jarring to see the real Raccoon King in all of his might sitting quietly in a folding chair and being interviewed by uh, America's sweetheart, Tina Fey. And I, I don't know if it's the grotesqueness of his maw. Perhaps it's, it's the ghastly maggots or the eyes that scream madness uh, at every turn or the fact that he's on camera for real in the first time uh, in over 
50 years, but it haunts me to this day. He's just sitting there, drinking coffee and talking about, you know, his lore and his history and spreading the good word of the Raccoon King. Which, of course, goes against everything I believe as a, as a well-versed Amazonian. Zos to you, hail Bezos. But I think that and the fact that they keep going back and forth between these very calm interviews and the action and the slaughter of Klaus Kinski's uh, version of the Raccoon King, which is terrifying, don't get me wrong, but is nowhere near as jarring, is nowhere near as petrifying as the actual conversations with the raccoon king because he never opens his mouth to speak no he there seems to be just a sort of telekinetic uh connection between anything that views him i guess occasionally like some uh viscous slobber will drip out of his corners of his mouths but uh and he has a second mouth just sort of underneath, you can see. That's why I say mouths. There's like a tuck deep, oh, deep yes. in. Oh, yes, when he smokes his cigarette through the stomata of his throat, another, some smoke comes out. It's it's uh, it's fascinating to watch, even if a little bit, um, well, I guess the simplest term is creepy. But, um, yeah, and, you know, because of that psychic connection with the, the psychic connection with, uh, his audience, some people don't hear the conversation between um, he and Tina Fey at all, actually, or him and Tina Fey. I'm not sure which is grammatically correct, but it doesn't matter. Some people just hear a high-pitched whine that grows in volume. And then they get back to the episode, and they're fighting the Raccoon King, and there's that sense of dread Yeah. The first scenes kick off right from the science fair with uh, the Raccoon King upturning tables uh, and just uh, Klaus Kinski, like, biting the face of other actors. Actual biting. Uh, He's a method actor through and through. Um, Joe Biden still has uh, scars. You can see if you look right at his kind of upper right-hand cheek below his eye, there's a, a, a sense of that something once was torn from there and then repaired through expensive surgery. And that's a, that's a Kinski. That's a Kinski scar. Yeah, uh, if you can see past the radiant glow of Biden's smile and uh, past the sadness in his eyes, you will see Klaus Kinski's scars. Kinski uh, embodying this raccoon king goes on a rampage. Uh, he turns around at what one point to stare at Bobby Slappy Stein McKenzie, played by Josh Gad, uh, who is uh, staring uh, up in his eyes, and he lifts him up by one hand and throws him out towards the hall, uh, screaming, you are of no use to me. Yeah, uh, you'd think you'd be a little bit more grateful because in... This is not a. This is a, this is an improvised scene between Kinski and Gad, um, and the reason I say you'd think he'd be a little bit more grateful is uh, he had 
Josh Gad had to hide the entirety of Klaus Kinski in his mouth for the episode for the episode beforehand. Um, and for most of the episode, you'll see that he's just got a little. If you look very closely, he's just got a little thing right now. He's like like chaw, you know. He's he's like chewing tobacco. Well, the reason he has that is he's hiding. He's hiding Klaus, as as they they know each other by first names because you got to get really familiar if you're going to be hiding uh, in someone's left cheek. That's true. You have to really be able to feel intimate with yeah, your fellow actor. Really, once that had happened, once once Kinski was in the moment, he turned on his fellow actor, and they haven't spoken since the filming of this episode. In fact, I'd be surprised if Josh Gad even speaks about Klaus Kinski ever. I think, yeah, I think he would probably deny meeting him or certainly deny hiding him in his mouth. Yeah, it's... um. If anybody out there knows Josh Gad, if you could ask him what what he thought of his time working with Klaus Kinski on January Boys, the TV show, um, or just get him involved with this show, like we want to know because um, we're all about togetherness on this episode and no other episodes, just this one. Um, we want to. Br- Read um, sort of familiarity. Maybe it's because love is in the air. Uh, Valentine's Day is just around the corner. But I want people to be kind to one another. And I want Klaus Kinski and Josh Gad to come on this show and talk about their feelings. Because I think they need closure. Klaus Kinski's subsequent death has made that closure difficult. But I say not impossible. I know a medium or two. Some larges. I think we can figure it out. Hold a seance. And you guys will be the first to know if we are able to broker peace between these two individuals, which we'll we'll get to work on that. But anyway, this is where that animosity stems from. In case anyone was curious. Uh, now, sort of towards the middle, most, most of this episode is just cutting back and forth between this very long fight and this horrific, real-world, 60-minute-style interview. And I don't know why they went with that, other than it was the will of the Raccoon King. But closer to the end of the episode, it slows down quite a bit. Um, I don't know if it was just they were all tired at this point, because it was done in one shot. Or... Maybe that was how it was scripted. It would sort of taper off. Um, but they eventually defeat the Raccoon King in, in the way that most heroes of myth uh, or villains of myth, depending on your beliefs, do. And um, that is they have a staring contest with one another. And then they lock tongues and have to tell jokes. And the first one to laugh gets, well killed and so this spiritual force this uh, body uh, that has taken over the body of Klaus Kinski locks eyes with Jeb Bush of course played by Eric Andre reaches out grabs um, Eric Andre's tongue and yanks it out of his head 
um, almost cartoonishly, and then they tie them together, and they take part in this ritual. Um, yeah, it's truly amazing. Kinski died there on set because he lost. He laughed. Um, and that's another reason Josh Gad might never uh, gain closure with this um, this titan of cinema. But, you know, c'est la vie. That's the way the cookie crumbles, right? It, it does as well. Um, and it's also an interesting fact. This was the only time Klaus Kinski ever laughed. And perhaps this was the reason, because he knew somehow that it was anathema to his being. And once he truly laughed, he would be destroyed and crumble into dust like a cookie. Like a dry, chalky cookie that had been just sitting out for a while. And if I remember correctly, the joke that killed him was... Wasn't it a classic Werner Herzog joke that he submitted? Yes, yes it was. It was, um, why did the chicken cross the road? For no reason whatsoever, chickens are stupid, filthy beasts. And that just killed Kinski. And I have to be careful saying that because in the original German, um, that's the world's most deadly joke. I actually feel a little ill just saying it aloud. Uh, listener, I apologize if you get the sweats just hearing it, but one more time. Why did the chicken cross the road? For no reason whatsoever. Chickens are stupid, filthy beasts. Now, we recommend you pause the episode, drink a glass of water, and come back. Now that you're back, uh, we can finish off the episode telling you that um, if you haven't seen it already, maybe go watch this part because um, the reason Tina Fey has been acting so strangely lately is shown in this television episode uh, as the Raccoon King sort of melts in front of your eyes and slithers into her nostrils and takes over her body. And um, then the camera is knocked over as the, by a psychic force as uh, Tina Fey's eyes glow black. This is also why Tina Fey's eyes, if they are not lit by flashing camera bulbs or the lights of a professional studio, are actually just bottomless holes yeah just glowing black holes it's um i mean it's beautiful you know it's it's, she's a she's a beautiful intelligent very funny uh person in new york's comedy scene and america's hearts but uh her eyes are glowing black pits and there's nothing i mean that's just a fact everyone knows it but this is the reason why and if you were wondering why recently she seems to be eating a lot of raw meat, Um, why children are going missing when she rolls into your town. Well, this is why. But a small price to pay for America's sweetheart. Definitely. Um, But yeah, so that's the episode. And the script for the episode in the archives of the Paley Center for uh, Television Arts is literally one page. Yeah, it just says, they fight in the middle of the page, and that's it. It's, um, yeah, it was 100% improvised, and in that interview, 
the notes are written in a language that uh, none of us can understand. They've tried. It's, uh, yeah, linguists are baffled. Until the raccoon king arises to his throne in the coming days of apocalypse, uh, we will never know uh, what those words contain. Some scholars that have uh, had unearthly dreams when listening to uh, the raccoon king's words seem to think that they may be a list of the raccoon king's top ten hors d'oeuvres for a party, but we, we just don't know. Sometimes late at night I'll be lying in my bed, asleep, and my eyes will shoot open uh, as if jumping out of my skull, and I will hear the whispered Raccoon King Fragen, Raccoon King Rolya, Raccoon King Forever. And then um, Kiss from a Rose will come on my radio for some reason. And I don't know if you guys know that song, but it's uh, it's a classic. Uh, a kiss from a rose. Just look it up. You'll you'll. I'm not gonna sing it for you. I am too busy with my ice demons and my inner demons to really do that. But um, yeah. Is there anything else we'd like to talk about? Do you have any behind the scenes little peaks? It's kind of a tricky thing to parse all this out because really everything in front of the scenes certainly most things behind the scenes are on camera Mm -hmm. in this because it's just that one long take so i mean yeah uh one thing they learned was that the uh, raccoon king does not take cream in his coffee and he's a more of an autumn than anything else likes to dress in sort of neutral and earth tones which makes sense yeah, I did hear that uh, sometimes when they would hand him something to read, he would take from a pocket, from a pocket, he would take out a pair of reading glasses and uh, use those to read over what they handed him. And he was a little embarrassed. He would tuck them back in when the cameras were rolling again. Yeah. You could see he looked a little a little sheepish about it. Like, hey, but he would kind of shrug and be like, eh, I'm millennia old. Yeah, that's kind of cute. That's kind of adorable, you know, like... That's very uh, mortal for for the Raccoon King, and although, as far as I can tell, they are a, a, a mostly immortal being um, or nigh immortal, uh, it, it's nice to see that celebrities are just like us, just like the rest of us. Mm-hmm. All right, well, uh, that's gonna do it for me. Is there anything you'd like to say before we head out? As always. Keep January in your heart. January Man is recorded by A.V. Eichenbaum and Davis Banta, with music by Brennan McKay, and this week, uh, Pure Adrenaline by Eddie, and something Russian that I cannot name. Well, uh, we hope you had a great time here today, and remember, 